The Higher Side Chats doesn't start with underwear ads or guilt-tripping donation pleas, nor would I ever commit the cardinal sin of podcasting and interrupt the flow mid-show to show you an unrelated sponsor. But the free first-hour episodes do have to start with a little PSA before we get into it to ever so quickly remind slash inform listeners both old slash new that you're about to get into what I'm sure is a great first hour of a high-level interview, but that means you're missing half the show. If you like what we do around here, get yourself a THC Plus membership and listen to the full two-hour interviews as they were really designed to be and as I know you would enjoy them most. Give a little and actually get a little more in return of the thing you're actually engaging with. Five episodes every month, plus forum access, community comments, downloads to all the closing cover songs, a plus show RSS feed to use with any private RSS feed supported app, and the occasional joint session bonus shows, which include the messages you might leave me about your own theories, experiences, or otherworldly encounters at thehiresidechats.com slash voicemail. If you're not quite sure, if you just want to feel us out, or if you're only here for this particular episode, no worries. New first-time subscribers get a seven-day free trial when you sign up at thehiresidechats.com. Cancel anytime. Try it out, because it's so important to feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go. And with that said, let's get on with it already, huh? In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Rock me like a hurricane, Higher Side Chatters. Coming in hot from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And the world is certainly in a weird place, isn't it? Geopolitical dust-ups and global lockdowns, shots and sanctions, propaganda and passports, 5G and freedom convoys, wokeness, and World War III. It's like a full court press of control measures and manipulated events as the capstone cabal continues to move the pieces in place for the next phase of the new ways. And the strangest thing is that most people you talk to don't see it, or even worse, stand by it. But luckily, we with the eyes to see are not completely alone because hardworking people like today's returning guest Ole Demingard have been beating this drum for a long time and certainly see the writing on the wall. Ole is the author of the aptly titled book Coup d'etat in slow motion and the man behind the full-spectrum website lightonconspiracies.com where he does shine a light on anything and everything that the planet's puppet masters would prefer to stay in the dark. And we've done no shortage of shows together as he joined us first in 2014 to talk about the Rockstar killings and other crimes of Operation 40, followed by four other interviews over the years covering the long-running string of false flags, set-up shootings, and terror events. We've discussed these goings-on all around the world in what still seems to be a never-ending global terror tour. In places like Paris, Copenhagen, Sydney, Ottawa, San Bernardino, Manchester, London, Charlottesville, Barcelona, and of course, Las Vegas. Well, it's certainly been too long, and I am psyched to talk to him again. The man who knows the plan, the psyop sleuth, and the event deconstructor extraordinaire. Ole, my man, welcome back. How the heck are you? I'm doing great, Greg, and uh, I've just been missing out talks because I really enjoy them. 
So let's get going. <laughs> yeah, man, it's been a long time. Thanks for doing this again. We used to talk about all these very sketchy shootings and bombings and fear-filled media events, and it got to be too much. These things are happening so often that I just needed a break from it. And they still go on, largely under the same type of template that you've been calling out for years. But now we have the Russia-Ukraine dust-up. Might be winding down by the time this airs. Hard to get the right information, but clearly part of a larger game being played. And I've heard a lot of different takes from all corners of the conspiracy culture, but you've been tying this conflict together with a string of other things and making a really compelling case that what we're seeing is a war on Bitcoin. And before we get into it, I just want to say that it's important that people remain open-minded. So many world events in the past few decades have had a subtext of who's rejecting the central bank network, who wants to trade oil in some non-US dollar currency, who wants to reinstate a gold standard. Usually these are the drivers, and while a central bank state-controlled digital currency is certainly in the cards, I think we should be open to the ways that Bitcoin is being seen as a workaround for people and countries that are desperately searching for a way out from under the thumb of the big banking cartel. And that's kind of what you've been saying. Talk to us about the various events that build up this case for what we could call a global war on Bitcoin from the traditional banksters. Well, not really sure where to start. But I, I want to just say one thing. Have you noticed that all of these mass shootings and alleged terror attacks, they stopped when Corona entered in on stage? They just, uh, ISIS disappeared from the earth of uh, uh, the, the surface of Mother Earth. And all of that stopped when the Bitcoin, no, sorry, when the Corona operation started. And then they've been gone. Now, when so many people are starting to wake up to what is actually happening, that uh, it is not a matter of, of health, that it's a matter of absolute total global control, that whole thing, the more that are waking up, they need to divert our attention away from what's actually going on. And so here we have some major diversions. And then uh, now when people are starting to get also a better understanding of the COVID operation, they hit us again, once again, with mass shootings, alleged uh, cars driving into crowds, uh, uh, mass attacks, and so on. So that whole thing is one thing. But the, the Bitcoin uh, is very interesting, I think, because uh, I have been cautious with Bitcoin from day one because I know it's been the New World Order's wet dream to get a one-world digital currency uh, for the last at least 30, 40 years uh, that I've been aware of it. But it is very central in their global overtake, the plans of an absolute global control. So when Bitcoin appeared out of nowhere and nobody knew who invented it and so on, I just felt, whoa, this could be a very, uh, very uh, eloquent uh, ambush for people to get into the whole understanding of <clears throat> cryptocurrencies, get used to using them, and then in the, in the very last uh, minute find out that, oh my God, it's been the same dark forces behind this one as well. Very possible. But I, I hope that I, that is not correct because what Bitcoin is what Bitcoin is doing is the exact opposite of what the New World Order have been trying to do, which is centralize the power to fewer and fewer and fewer. And where everything is centralized, that's the key word. Bitcoin is decentralized, which is could be the incredible 
freedom option for all of us. So I really hope that Bitcoin is what it uh, claims to be. Anyway, uh, if so, that, then Bitcoin is a massive uh, threat to the new world order. And that could also explain why s some of these things are happening now. And so I want to take you back to uh, the year 2021. In June, the 4th to 6th of uh, June, there was the biggest Bitcoin conference ever in Miami, Florida. There was about 12,000 attendees and it was a massive success. And after that, uh, there were four nations that uh, were really sort of uh, on it. And they said, my God, we are going to make uh, uh, Bitcoin our legal tender. So these countries were small, uh, so-called third world countries like El Salvador, Panama, Paraguay, and the Ukraine. And all of them said, this is the best idea ever. Let's do it. So El Salvador, right after, I think it was only a few days after, they made a, a legal suggestion that they were going to make Bitcoin legal tender by September of 2021, which was something they also did. Paraguay was following right after them saying, yep, we're going to go for it. But then just about 10 days after this uh, conference, a very odd thing happened in the same city of Miami, where we had this uh, building collapse of a, an apartment building on the front line of the, of the beach in Miami that just oh, in a few seconds just fell straight down. Parts of the building just went straight down into the ground. And uh, it said that it was a collapse, that there were like uh, some deep holes, that there was a bit too close to the sea, that rusty uh, beams or whatever. But I have footage where you can see exactly controlled demolition. And also the way the building goes down within seconds, I mean, it's controlled demolition all over the place. Also, the way you see how they, they uh, closed off like nine blocks away from the building, so nobody could get anywhere close to it. That is very suspicious. And also there was a whole long line of trucks that were coming, gathering all the, the debris from, from the building collapse and then transporting it to somewhere that no one knows of, exactly like they did after 9-11. If you ask me, that is how you get rid of evidence of any explosives and so on. So that is very suspicious to say the least. So. The reason for this building uh, demolition has been a question mark. I would suggest that there is a possibility because that it's connected to this whole Bitcoin thing because uh, among the victims were the sister-in-law of the president of Paraguay, her, her husband, and their three kids. All of them are said to have been killed in this thing. So I'm asking, is it possible that this whole thing was to intimidate Paraguay to back off and also statue an example saying anyone that want to go this way, it will end up badly. In this case, maybe they couldn't target the president themselves himself, but instead they went emotionally. So they went for family members. Uh, so after that, as far as I know, Paraguay got cold feet and backed out. We also had a very strange uh, connection to this uh, building collapse with the uh, the eccentric billionaire John McAfee, who the inventor of the McAfee antivirus uh, software, who was also very high up in the in the hierarchy, he was exposing, he was threatening to expose the whole U.S. government and parts of the New World Order. He said he had evidence to make the whole thing collapse, and uh, so just before this happened, 
he was taken, uh, arrested, and then transported to Spain, where he was put in a, in a prison outside Barcelona, where he was held there. And uh, uh, he said he it said that he was in good spirits. His wife said he was doing great, not a problem whatsoever. And then suddenly he commits suicide right um, more or less at the exact same time as this uh, building goes down. But just a day or so before, he had said that he had all of his evidence in uh, backups that was uh, spread around the world in so-called dead man's grip, meaning that should he die, this information would be released. And in one Twitter, uh, in one tweet, he said that he had this backup in a building very close to the, this address of the collapsed uh, building here. And I don't know if that tweet was uh, was authentic or not, but it, because in one way it would be very strange for him to disclose the, the position of a backup like that. But anyway, the building where this backup could have been in were demolished and then he committed suicide. It's, I would say it's very odd that he was in a prison in Spain while he was uh, taken there. But at the same time, the prison is located in Catalonia, which is uh, a part of Spain that has been trying to free itself for many years. But also, it is a part of Spain that has been under uh, heavy control of Israel. Like the Barcelona police uh, force is every year they're sent to Israel being trained by Mossad. Uh, the, the name of the police in Spain is called Mossos. And uh, they, they are, I must say, very brutal and very efficient. And they are also practicing uh, at a mountain right outside Barcelona, which, if I remember right, is called the, the Mountain of Jerusalem. So there are these connections to Mossad in that area, and I would not be surprised if that is the reason why he was taken to that specific uh, prison, where he was then under control and possibly arranged suicide. Or in, in my world of conspiracies, he might very well be around, still around, that they have him somewhere uh, and are using him in, in different ways because his body has not been released yet. The... Uh, the suicide note was very odd, and his uh, his wife is still like uh, a massive big question mark, asking what the hell happened to my husband, and all of that is like a big open question. So anyway, uh, so Paraguay stepped back, El Salvador stepped forward, and in September of 2021 made Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador. That was the first country ever. And it seems like it's these third world countries that ha have the most to gain from Bitcoin, meaning a way to get out of the grip of these very uh, criminal organizations like the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, which are the enforcers of the New World Order uh, on a financial plan to, to absolutely devastate uh, nations and individuals. So, uh, also, I think it was in September that Ukraine uh, made uh, also uh, proposed, uh, what do you call it, preparations to make uh, Bitcoin legal tender. And then I want to say, do, do you know, over the years, I found many, many clues about upcoming attacks. It's uh, gone so far that uh, my last name has actually become a verb. Uh, so hashtag Damagod or hashtag Damagod is to find the hidden clues about upcoming attacks and expose it. And uh, just checking, Greg, are you still there? I am. I'm trying to stay pretty quiet because I think that the crosstalk and back and forth, I think we have a little bit of a delay. And of course, we're trying to keep the 
stream from getting interrupted. But yeah, I'm I'm loving everything you're saying. And just to add a little something to El Salvador's situation and the moneyed interest that might not like a lot of these third world nations going to Bitcoin is there was a story going around that the people of El Salvador, as well as the government, would save $400 million a year by moving to Bitcoin and avoiding the fees that are charged by Visa, MasterCard, and Western Union. So that's a lot of money. And Bitcoin is helping in that regard. Now, I'm totally with you that maybe they collapse it and bring in their own. I know they're certainly going to try to bring in their own. But like the internet, there's a lot of different websites and they're trying to capture the most attention with a few key sites, Facebook, Twitter, Google, and they do a good job. But we also have websites on the internet. And I think cryptos are similar. They're going to demonize Bitcoin for not being green enough and they're going to bring in their new thing. But that doesn't mean Bitcoin will go away. And there are also several other cryptos that are focused on privacy and decentralization even more than Bitcoin. And I think that they're not going to get the same volume as the central bank digital currency will, but they will exist. And I'm very pro this whole movement, unless they do a internet blackout, of course, then everybody's kind of screwed. But yeah, saving 400 million a year in a country like El Salvador, just on the fees going to the big banks. I mean, we all know that people are getting screwed by the big banks and they want to get out from under the thumb of this stuff. And Bitcoin is call it a Hail Mary, but they're throwing it. And I hope it works for them. And these points you're making about Paraguay, and I know you have points to make about Panama and Tonga as well. Seems like a lot of the pieces fit. Yeah, so um, I, I just want to say that over the years, uh, in the year of 2014, I was contacted by an insider who had followed me for years in my exposure of false flag operations all over the world. And he said, you're doing a great job, but you're missing out on the clues. And I said, what, what clues are you talking about? He said, you have to understand they always leave hidden clues in the forensic evidence, hidden clues about upcoming attacks. And I said, but why on earth would anyone do something that stupid? And he said, it's because of the law of karma. Uh, these individuals and, and organizations that are behind so much mayhem in the world are very afraid, apparently, of the law of karma. What you do comes back to you. So he said the way they see it is that if they show us, even in subtle ways, what they're going to do, and we don't react, then indirectly we consent to what they do, and then the bad karma is on our shoulders. So... To start with, I didn't think that that was, uh, I mean, I thought he was just full of bull. But then again, I started seeing these exact things. And then over the years, uh, from the January of 2015, that was when I really understood that this guy had been truthful and that it was actually true what he was saying. So after that, I've been so dedicated to just find the clues. As soon as something goes down, I'm looking for where's the clues, where's the clues, where's the clues, where many, maybe most people are looking at the official story or the crime side, I'm looking in the forensic evidence. And so up to date, I've been finding and connecting or exposing uh, 64 of uh, these attacks uh, that has happened globally or mass shootings up to two months before they actually happen on international radio and in my newsletter. So you can see, this is when I said it's going to happen. Boom, that's when it happened. This is when I pointed it out. That's when it happened. So this is a 
an incredible blessing in disguise because that means that it's just up to us to find these clues that they're put there for their selfish reasons. They have to do it for their own selfish reasons. So the thing we have to do is find the clues and uh, point it out before it goes down so that uh, if we're fast enough and we can get it out to as many as possible before it actually happens, we have a possibility to stop it. And this is, I've been part of stopping several of these massive, massive big ones. So anyway, in November of 2021, I found two clues uh, in connection with uh, two very poorly pulled off uh, false flag operations in Norway, both of them pointing towards Kazakhstan. And Kazakhstan is a country that uh, I've been interested in over the years because uh, there is a city called Astana that was uh, has been constructed or parts of it has been constructed for the last 20, 25 years as what seems to be a new world order, new capital of the world. Uh, it is a very bizarre place with very Freemasonic buildings like anything from from uh, pyramids to sun temples to obelisks to, I mean, really bizarre. And, and the people, even the people living there have had no idea. They still to this day don't understand why are these buildings being erected and why they're standing empty for years on end if there's no plan here. But the plan is to move the power uh, center of the world from Washington, New York, and over to Astana. That is, has been the New World's Order uh, idea for a long, long time. So anyway, when these two things were pointing towards Kazakhstan, I was like, whoa, uh, that is interesting. So I pointed it out in my November newsletter saying, I have no idea, but it seems like they're planning on doing something in Kazakhstan. And then in, in December of 2021, I started finding clues pointing towards the Ukraine. And I was still, I said, I have absolutely no idea what's going on, but it's pointing towards Kazakhstan. No, sorry, the Ukraine as well. So anyway, on, I think it was January the 5th, uh, which is almost uh, the uh, anniversary of the Capitol Hill attack, which is an attack that I predicted five days before it went down on Navy SEALs, uh, Michael Jacobs show saying, I have no idea, but it's pointing toward Capitol Hill. So please please be, be careful because he was going to uh, be there when this whole thing happened. And anyway, it happened there. And now, on the, more or less on the anniversary, we had this uh, uprising, alleged uprising in Kazakhstan because of the gas prices going skyrocketing like that. That's also a very easy way of, of uh, creating chaos and uprisings and so on. You just... Uh, let the uh, prices go right up in, into the sky and boom, people get so frustrated and angry that you have an uprising. But anyway, one of the first measures they did to, to try and regain balance in this area was to shut down the internet. And one of the effects of doing that was that the, uh, the mining of Bitcoin was heavily in, uh, affected <clears throat> because Kazakhstan is one of, I think it was uh, the world's, uh, it was on uh, position number seven among nations in the world when it came to Bitcoin mining. So a major, major uh, asset in the whole Bitcoin mining uh, scene. So when that happened, when they shut down the internet, Bitcoin started going down drastically and 
So the question is, was the whole thing in uh, Kazakhstan partly because of Bitcoin? Then we had the Ukraine. And once again, it was uh, the Ukraine is uh, among the top 10 in the world when it comes to Bitcoin mining. And Ukraine was also in the process of uh, reinstalling a massive center. They, they took this uh, nuclear power plant and uh, that had been uh, shut down. And they were in the process of reinstalling it uh, and reopening it as a massive bit Bitcoin mining center that would be opened by the summer of 2022. But before that, uh, on the I think it was on the 15th of January, we had a small little nation called Tonga in the middle of nowhere who said, we're going to be uh, nation number two in the world that will make Bitcoin legal tender. And more or less within 24 hours, that little island nation was hit by a volcanic eruption that the world has never seen anything like it. According to NASA, if you want to trust them, the, the strength of the eruption was 500 times stronger than the bomb over Nagasaki in the end of the Second World War. 500 times stronger. That is, that is unbelievable. And there's, we've even been shown, if they're real or not, I don't know, but it, uh, satellite images of what appears to be some kind of cruise missile with some kind of warhead that goes down and the whole thing just explodes uh, outside this little island in an area that is very famous for its volcanic activity. So the only thing you need is making a real crack in the surface and you can get all kinds of uh, stuff going on there. But the whole a major part of the island was uh, totally devastated. And, <clears throat> and also during the whole uh, eruption, there were about 86,000 lightning strikes to the uh, volcano in that area. 86,000. That's 167 lightning strikes per minute while this whole thing was going on. So I'm asking you, Greg, does that sound natural to you or what are we looking at? I would strongly suggest that we're talking about harp technology, directed energy weapon, all kinds of stuff that they were using to intimidate and scare the living bejesus out of Tonga and any other nation on earth that would uh, go in the have the same mindset of making uh, Bitcoin legal tender. Yes, that's a very strange sequence of events. I've never heard of anything like that with a volcano, that much lightning. I've heard about many exotic weapons and weather type weapons, so I can't put it past them. And the pieces are stacking up. Is there something to say about Panama also? Because weren't they also going to make Bitcoin legal tender or at least talking about it? I don't know, Greg. I don't know. I've been so busy with this whole thing now in the Ukraine and so on, because this is the whole next step of uh, what was going on. Because I think, you know, if you noticed, first the world was talking about ISIS, 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 ISIS. Then it was COVID, COVID, COVID for a long, 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 long time. And if you look at uh, during the COVID operation, one of the things that uh, that uh, they accomplished was to deconstruct the U.S. as a uh, superpower, where uh, where there's, I mean, the the financial system, the small businesses, restaurants, hotels, everything has been destroyed. Very, very uh, systematically, just destroy, destroy. So the superpower in the West had been demolished. 
And now, from a point of if uh, the view of the New World Order, they don't look at nations as anything else than sort of franchises on a big chessboard. So now they managed to deconstruct uh, the, the, one of the big superpowers. And I would suggest, is it possible that they're aiming now to destroy superpower number two, which is Russia? So how would they do that? One of the ways they always do is that they have to demonize the leader of a nation so that that would justify them to go in and totally demolish it. We've seen it with many, many um, so-called dictators like Saddam Hussein that was an ally of the U.S. Then suddenly they didn't need him anymore. So he was demonized. The Shah was uh, overthrown with the CIA-controlled revolution. You had uh, Gaddafi. You had many of these other leaders where they, they suddenly demonize them and then, boom, they take them out. But they have to demonize them to get the consent from the public uh, person because, once again, it's the law of karma. If we consent, they can go away with it. If we don't, they cannot. So um, anyway, so when uh, this whole thing in the Ukraine happened, it, it was very, very, very bizarre to say the least. And all of my red alerts went off like, bap, 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 because there was a press conference some months ago where I think it was the State Department in the U.S. They had this press conference in front of international media saying, uh, we've just heard or we found out that Russia is planning a false flag attack on the Ukraine. Now, that is the first time ever I've heard the term false flag being used officially. This is a term that has been used by individuals like myself for many, many years, but never, ever have I heard it from the, an official source. But a false flag operation is actually a psychological operation where they're turning everything upside down, where the victim of an attack is actually the attacker. The victim of the attack is actually the attacker, but they have to become the victim to justify their action to hit back. Right. So if, if it was correct what they said at that press conference, they said Russia is... Uh, attempting a false flag attack on the Ukraine. So that what would that look like? It would look like they would uh, dress Russian soldiers in Ukrainian uniforms. Then they would let the Ukrainian, uh, the people in Ukrainian uniform, attack some military Russian outpost or something like that. Then justifying Russia to hit back an invasion, rape and plunder. That is a false flag, the way they described it. But what we've seen since then is the exact opposite. We're being told that Russia, for no reason whatsoever, just decided one day we're just going to go in and destroy the Ukraine. And then this has created this whole insane propaganda operation here where it's like Putin bad, Putin bad, Putin evil, Putin bad. That's it. And the Ukraine, Ukraine victim, 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 which could be true yes but please look at what's been going on because i tell you there is one uh, movie that is very very interesting to say the least in my world it's called wag the dog yeah w-a-g wag the dog great movie can i i, I just want to tell what it's about it's with uh, robert de niro dustin hoffman is in it woody harrelson waylon jennings no winnie nelson sorry and who else have we got there Anyway, so the whole setup is that you have, um, there's a scandal, 
in the White House. There's a president that looks a lot like Clinton who couldn't keep his fingers away from a young woman in the White House. And so he enlisted her, and there was this, this is right before the elections. And so the opponent of the president had found out this whole thing and is now trying to, uh, to nail him for this whole thing. So the White House, White House is under a lot of pressure here. So what they do is they call in a fixer. This is Robert De Niro, a very discreet individual who's super good at fixing problems. And they say, we have this panic situation. Please help, please help. So he said, okay, let's get the president the hell out of here and tell everybody that he's sick so that he doesn't say anything that can fuck this whole thing up. Send it to China or something. So that's what they do. Boom, he's out of the way. And then he says, we have to make a massive diversion away from this whole situation. So what he does is he creates a war against Albania a war that does not exist, has no, con there's nothing there, but he, out of nothing, he creates a war. And the way he does it is that uh, a war in media, that's it. The way he does it is that he makes the White House call for a press conference. Please remember the press conference we were talking about here with the, the alleged false flag of Russia. Uh, he calls in for a press conference where uh, the guy is uh, directed to say very specific things. And the, the thing he says is that, thank you so much for coming to this uh, urgent press uh, conference here. We just want to say that any rumors about any kind of aggressive uh, attacks or aggressive conflict between uh, from Albania's side towards the U.S., there's no truth to it whatsoever. These are just rumors. Don't put any notice in there's no truth to any kind of uh, a heightening conflict that is about to erupt. Nothing like that. No plans about war or anything like that has been uh, presented anywhere. And also any rumors you hear about the new B-3 bomber, they're just not true. Just as long as you know it. We just wanted to let you know that. So the whole press conference there, the core of, of, of journalists, they're like, what B-3 bomber? What conflict? What with Albania? And what they've done is they, they've, in the, in the meantime, the White House have, have um, alerted the Marine, the Navy, the Air Force, and so on, and put them on high alert standby for no reason, but they're on standby. So the press is like, what the hell? We don't know anything about a conflict with Albania. What is this new B-3 bomber? And the guy at the press conference says, there is no truth to it. There is no B-3 bomber. We're just telling you. And he's actually totally truthful because there is no V3 bomber, there is no conflict, but they, they, it gets the whole press going. So anyway, that gives them, that buys a few hours. He has, and in the meantime, uh, Robert De Niro then contacts a, a Hollywood producer, that's Dustin Hoffman, who, and he gets him engaged and said, we have to make a whole propaganda operation here that will make the public believe that there is actually a war going on. So with the help of green screen uh, filming and film effects and uh, all kinds of things, they start making a lot of sequences from a war that does not exist. This is them being pumped out in media saying, this is happening right now in Albania and this and that and on the borderline. And here's a woman, come, a girl coming, she's just been raped and she's running around with a kitten here trying to escape. All of it is green steam staged absolute bullshit. Yes, and those media green screen, fabricated, emotionally charged mini sagas are a really good analogy, I guess you're saying, for what we're seeing in the real world with the Ukraine situation. 
I tell you, it's like uh, what is happening in the movie as well. What they do is they create a hero, they create the music, they create a propaganda thing that makes the whole U.S. unite behind this thing, you know, standing up. Uh, in this war against Albania that doesn't exist, but the media pumps it out. And if you control the media outflow, you control the scenario. You control the whole what is going on here. So uh, then they call when everything is uh, is uh, really amped up, you know, emotionally and the American flag in the background, they call back the, re- um, the president who comes in and managed to make peace with Albania. <laughs> Amazing. So he becomes a hero. And boom, he wins the election. So I ask you, what is really going on? And that I also want to point out that 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 movie is very interesting because it was released in 1998. What if you look at what it's based on? It's based on the Monica Lewinsky event. Do you remember that one? Yes, of course. How could I forget? Exactly. The <laughs> slight there's a slight little problem here though is that it was released one month before the Monica Lewinsky event actually happened ah it's like they knew there you go because like one month before to make a movie like that you would need at least a year or two of preparations and stuff this is a massive hollywood production yes it's a very telling movie one of my favorites and very insightful and we did see some stories with the early ukraine footage that seemed fake we had the ghost of ukraine story the sky and the fighter jet that turned out to be a false story. And then we also saw some footage of a building that had been blown up. That turned out to be from five years ago, some other bombing somewhere else entirely. And there was even some footage that was shown, or actually it was a still photo that was shown of people running. And I saw where it was overlaid with the movie that it was actually from, part of the movie was taken out. They're running from something, I don't know, like an asteroid or something, and that was removed, but the people were the same. So there was a lot of media manipulation. We really got bombarded hard. It just came one after the other after the other for those first few days. And I started watching a couple days later, everybody picking these things apart, showing that they're not real. This is Footage from something else entirely. This is from a movie. This is just a fabricated story. And the ghost of Ukraine story is probably the best example of like an emotional mini saga that comes right out of the Wag the Dog playbook. I'm with you there. I think that's really interesting. And Zelensky himself uh, is an actor, right? I mean, there's a lot of sketchy stuff to be said about Zelensky. I just want to go back to uh, Wag the Dog, the released date of that, because one month before this happened. Do you know how I, I would very much suggest that the whole Monica Lewinsky thing was absolutely staged as a diversion? Because when that whole thing erupted, did he get a below job or did he not? The whole world media was looking at that. What, what happened at the same time was that they sent 79 missiles to Sudan and other places, destroying a lot of targets, where the whole media was looking at the Monica Lewinsky story, yes or no. And so that was the first time they used that in 98. Then just a few months later, they hit, uh, they, they sent uh, another attack against uh, Iraq. That was right when they were talking about, should this go to trial or should it not? And then a third time, the very same year, they, when the whole thing around Monica Lewinsky was uh, heightened up again, they hit uh, Kosovo as well. So three times they were diverting 
the media away while hitting military targets. So I ask you, or I would suggest, if they need to show us what they do, like because of the law of karma, I believe that the whole movie, uh, Wag the Dog, is one of these things. And where media in 98 was talking about it, saying, oh my God, this is happening right now, this is happening right now. So Monica Lewinsky, that whole thing, major question mark, major question mark for me, and I think they're showing us exactly how they're doing it. So here we go to the Ukraine, and the exact same scenarios are being played out. Why or why or why would anyone use any kind of fake footage if there were real things going on? I mean, these comes from normally from Associated Press, Reuters, you got Getty's Images, uh, you got CNN. Why would they put their reputation on stake with something as stupid as fake footage if there was not a reason for it? And when you look, it's not only in the beginning, that whole thing has continued. We have, there's this image of a, a woman uh, with a bloody face and so on. That was spread all over the, uh, all over international media. It's from 2018 from a gas explosion. You have people running around with snipers and stuff like that, airsoft rifles. Other people are running around with uh, wooden guns. They're made of planks. If you really look at the footage, it's not real. You got uh, things taken out from Star Wars. You got multiple images that are used from a computer game called Armor 3. Now the the uh, the founders of Armor 3 or the creators of Armor 3 are now suing some of the big news channels for using images from their computer game. You've got footage from uh, where they say, now look at the, the explosion, all of that. That's from a gun show in Texas. You've got uh, there's footage uh, from uh, Palestine, from bombings there. So you've got uh, all of these things are happening. And so there's also... Uh, websites you know around the world where you can see the cctv footage from uh, big open uh, places famous places in washington in moscow whatever and you can see the cctv cameras they're live 24 7 and so we look at kiev i was looking at kiev absolutely nothing was happening there i looked at media bombs and things going off all over the place so what is true and what is not and so what happened, uh, we have a couple of, of uh, individuals, English guys, that went in separately into the Ukraine trying to find out what is going on. What they found was that it looked like staged film sets in certain areas where the international media was pushed into like a train station. Lots of people were pushed in there, so it looked like absolute chaos. On the outside of the train station, absolutely nothing. And then in certain areas of the city where there were some torn down buildings, uh, car wrecks were put there, stuff like that. But there was absolutely nothing going on, absolutely nothing. But what was going on was that there was no internet and no phone lines to uh, certain areas of the Ukraine. I spoke to this uh, military expert who's a, he's a real former badass, and he said it doesn't make any sense whatsoever from a Russian point of view. if he said, if you invade an area, the first thing you do is you blow out the basic structure of, this, of society. You, you, you destroy the water supply, the sewage, uh, the electrical supply, the networks, the everything. You knock it out so that it would be much easier for you to move into enemy territory and just take over. Here, 
nothing is touched. They haven't touched anything. Instead, what they've done, they shut down the internet, meaning that people inside the Ukraine have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. They have no idea what's being told about these things. And then you have uh, also, uh, like one of these uh, freelance journalists, he, he went into Ukraine and started interviewing people in there. And these people say, we're being attacked by Ukrainian military. It's not the Russians. The Russians are here trying to help us. They're giving us food. They're trying to help us out of certain areas. But it's the Ukrainians that are shelling us. So question mark, what the hell is going on here? And I just want to point out that ISIS, that is, if anyone that really looks into what ISIS is, it's a creation by the U.S. State Department, uh, Mossad, CAA, and funded by um, Saudi money, plus money coming from different GoFundMe campaigns that have been started after many of these black up, uh, false flag, fake false flag shootings and so on. That money is going in your money if you've been funding going in trying to to do the right thing and uh, giving your money into what you think is something really good have been redirected into these operations so isis and by the way also sponsored by toyota any kind of vehicle in any photo of isis it's a toyota i guarantee it so anyway that whole thing when corona came in on stage isis went out they just disappeared Woof. So where are all these alleged soldiers, alleged uh, terrorists, alleged Mujahideen warriors, alleged uh, private contractors, which they really are, many of them, where are they now? Is it possible that they have just been relocated from Syria and the Middle East up a few thousand kilometers, putting on new uh, uniforms, and are now the ones shelling the areas? People look in the binoculars, oh my God, it's the Ukrainian soldiers. How do you know? You look at the you look at the armory, you look at the uniforms. So is that what is going on? Then you have the military equipment that the Russians are using, they claim, that the vehicles that are left there burn out and so on. They're from the 70s. It's old crap, absolute old, hardly possible to use it. And inside them, they just happen to find Russian uniforms and Russian cans, you know, food cans. So how often have you like uh, do you bring like a, a, a change of clothes when you uh, do you know how tight it is inside a, a tank it's super tight who on earth would bring clothes do you know for a change it is just like the passports left outside the World Trade Center or the the passports in Paris and so many other uh, alleged shootings where they pointing towards the patsy they want you to hate the Russians so that that would justify the attack on Russia. Yeah, it seems like everything is backwards. People's emotions are really being played by the media and they should think about the news that they see a bit more deeply. Don't take it at face value and consider the response that they're trying to manipulate out of you. Because it wasn't long ago that the New York Times, official state media basically, was saying that the Ukraine was one of the world's most corrupt nations. And there's a funny little side story where Candace Owens, very polarizing personality, I know, but she had been talking about this corruption and the New York Times contacted her and asked her to do a story and were asking her about her sources for these claims. And she just sent them their own articles from a few years ago. It's crazy how quickly things can change on a dime when they have some sort of agenda. And everyone's memory is so short. 
But to talk a bit more about Zelensky, you have a lot of great information on him. He was an actor, we know, but his wife is a screenwriter. And there are other reasons to believe that he might still just be an actor in what we could call this real world wag the dog template, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And here is where it, we take it to the, to the next step of absolute weirdness. Because how could anything like this be orchestrated? I want to bring you to uh, an organization that is behind a lot of the things that we are experiencing right now in the world. It's called the World Economic Forum. And the World Economic Forum is like the 1%. It is multinational corporations and very wealthy individuals that are in the so-called elite that are working very hard with what they call the fourth industrial revolution, which is another word for the new world order, a one world fascist government that is absolutely in control of every single aspect of your life. So um, the World Economic Forum also has something that is highly, highly suspicious, which is uh, from the early 90s, they started what they call young global leaders. And in this uh, uh, young organization, what they're doing is they've been handpicking people, beautiful young people, and then coaching them for about five years, it seems like, indoctrinating them into becoming the new leaders of the world. And in this group, the young global leaders, you have people like uh, Sir Richard Branson, you have Angela Merkel, I believe Tony Blair was there. Putin is claimed to be one of them in the early 90s. You have U2, a Bono from U2, who's been in the outskirts of several of these alleged uh, mass shootings in, in uh, Europe. Uh, you also have uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook. You got the founder of uh, Google. You got um, uh, the founder of Avas. You got the founder of Alibaba. Uh, you got the the president of France, you got Trudeau of Canada, you got uh, several uh, royalties from uh, Sweden, uh, the Princess Victoria, you got uh, the, some Dutch royalties, some Danish royalties. I mean, a whole bunch of these individuals that we now see in very key positions in the world structure here. And then you have Zelensky, who is an interesting uh, I mean, really interesting individual here, because just like you say, before this guy, Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, before he ran for presidency, he was a comedian. He was a stand-up comedian. He starred in a hit television series called Servant of the People, where he played the role of him. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely weird. And uh, the series, which ran from October 2015 to March of 2019, uh, and also it will soon be aired on British Channel 4, by the way, I believe. Anyway, it was through him, through the series, that he became very, um, very popular among people. And he graduated from the Young Global Leaders in the year 2000. So anyway, so here, uh, just like you say, his, his, uh, uh, his uh, wife is a screenwriter. That's very handy as well. And then you got the, the public, no, sorry, the uh, producer uh, of the show. It's, a, it's an a company called Quartal 95 Studio. They were the ones that funded his campaign. They started the, the party, you know, uh, this uh, 
coalition, not coalition, but this party called the very same thing, Servant of the People. And then they funded it. And then when he was elected uh, prime minister as being, uh, no, sorry, president, before uh, he, he never had any kind of political role or power or did anything, but it was only because he was in this TV show that he was elected. Boom. And now in the Ukrainian government, as far as I know, several of the people in the government are from that production company. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. So what better if you can control, if you look at it from a point of the World Economic Forum, if they control Putin, who's a former uh, spy, he was also, I've heard an interview with an MI6 agent uh, who said that when he was in training as a young man in England, one of the other trainees at the time was Vladimir Putin as an MI6 agent. So that's interesting as well. You got Boris Johnson, his dad was MI6. And so here we have uh, possibly uh, Putin on the, from the World Economic Forum's young global leaders. You have Zelensky, the two so-called enemies in this whole conflict there. And so what happens now is that uh, suddenly the whole media that is being controlled by the, the World Economic Forum as well to a massive extent are now pumping out this story, Putin bad, Ukraine good. Putin bad, Ukraine is the victim, the victim. We have to support the the Ukraine. So what is happening? So many of the companies that are controlled by people in the World Economic Forum in one go has pulled back from, from Russia in one very uh, organized move. They've just pulled out there, pulling out massive amounts of, of wealth from the Russian system, making uh, really a heavy, heavy attack on the Russian economy. And so I would suggest, is this possible that this is an attack not on the Ukraine, but actually on Russia to deconstruct superpower number two? That is what I suggest is going on right now. I think that is a really interesting case to make, but it wouldn't be the first time that everything was exactly the opposite of what our media presents to us. So it's very possible. And so... It's in 4D reality where I think most of your listeners and, and we are, where we just like, it's very confusing to start with, very confronting also with your inner beliefs and stuff because you have to unlearn so much from 3D reality in 4D reality because you just find that, my God, I've been lied to in so many different areas of life. So this is also where inner work is very needed because it's very, very easy to get very frustrated, very negative, very hating or self-destructive or, um, yeah, so depressed and anxious and afraid and all of these. So this is where you really have to deal with your own crap so that you don't spread it and really deal with it, deal with it, deal with it. And then you come up on top of that, also starting to get into 5D reality, where you're in a position saying, okay, I get it, I get it. Now I see what's actually happening. And then you try and tell people that are close to you, many of them still in 3D reality, saying, oh my God, have you not seen it? Can you not see this? And they're still in 3D reality, where the radio is playing classical music, and where you're saying, listen to the music, it's Jimi Hendrix playing. And they look at you like, this is a mad individual. Something happened to them. This is a tinfoil hat. 
you know, maybe he's in some kind of weird sect because he's saying all of these weird things about things being upside down. They cannot hear you. And the same way that when you're in, free, in 4D reality, you cannot go back. It's like you cannot unlearn how to ride a bicycle. Once you learn, you know it, you, you, you just know it. And it's here. Once you see it, you cannot unsee it. So I, I, I want to add another image for you. Like in Many years ago, there was a bearded Guru guy who said that by the year 2012, if you remember that year, uh, humanity will be separated in two groups. It will be like a train station and a train. Let's say the train station is 3D reality, the train is 4D reality. He said by the year 2012, the train will start moving out. Anyone can get on it, anyone can get off it, whatever. By the year 2015, the train will have started gaining momentum. It's, you can still get off and on, but it's getting harder and harder. By the year 2020, there's absolutely no way you cannot even communicate anymore because the difference, the distance between you are too big. And so I would say that this is where we are now. It's very, very hard to communicate with somebody in 3D if you are in 4D. At the same time, if you are on the train, you will find people, real friends, so quickly. It used to take years. Now it's like, boom, oh my God, this is my brother. I love you, love you. Boom, like that so fast because you suddenly you are on the same wavelength. You see it, you understand, and so on. So we have like humanity being almost like if you look under a microscope and you see a, a, how life is created, you've got like one cell, and one day this cell just decides, I'm going to split myself into two. And so whoop, you, you got two cells out of one. And it's almost like I say symbolically, like humanity is going through that exact thing that we have separated ourselves so it's like we are on two different paths, I would say very different paths, no judgment, it's just very different. And it's almost being symbolized now by the mask and the jabs. That is one uh, group of individuals that believe in 3D reality, that are willing to sacrifice themselves in that process of believing that. And then you got the 4D reality, the ones of us that choose not to believe the madness, that are choosing to try even though it's very painful to open minds into the understanding of what is actually going on and the beauty of this is that for us who's on the train we can find new friends very very quickly which used to take years before but now on the train as soon as you see someone who's on the same path there's this understanding that uh, on a deeper level where you can really see each other as brothers and sisters in a way that is really profound and I, I also I heard this um, Bruce Lipton, who I really admire. He was talking about humanity going through a, a very similar process as the ca caterpillar who is developing into a beautiful, beautiful butterfly. The question is, does the caterpillar know where he's going when he goes into the poppy? Uh, I don't know, but what ha he goes into this whole thing, and inside uh, he start the the body starts. Uh, dissolving it's really weird and bruce lipton is talking about um, i think he's calling it kamisaki cells uh do you know like where suicide cells are sacrificing themselves to fuel the process and when you look at humanity it's almost like certain individuals are sacrificing themselves by taking the jab to maybe on one on, on a spiritual level 
energizing the whole process of what is going on with humanity. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But I do believe that the caterpillar has no vision of what it can even be to be a butterfly. And so the way I see it is that if that is true, then the future can be absolutely incredible if we can manage to transcend this whole madness. So this is my vision, and that's what I'm aiming for. I like it. I really do. It's a great analogy, and I appreciate your optimism. I think you laid out some good advice there for really dark and troubling times. Humanity has made it through everything we've ever had to go through, and why should this be any different? So I think we just got to be kind of practical about it. We got to be honest about it. I think we should not spend any of our money with the big oligarchy companies, buy local, keep a strong local economy, keep strong local relationships, and operate from a place of positivity and love and don't get dragged into conflicts and polarization and all that kind of stuff. We have to be better people if we want to bring about a better world, so... It's been great talking to you, man. I'm sorry about all the breakups. Highly unusual for me. I guess not so much for you. And I am also sorry. I wanted to mention, you said in the what will be the second hour that your Patreon got shut down, amongst other things. But that's really sad to hear. I want to make sure the full audience hears that because a good-sized portion of my monthly income comes from Patreon. And I hate to see that, and I hate to see them doing that to someone whose work I admire and someone I'm about to post an interview with, uh, but let it be known. I think the best place to support people like yourself and myself are our own websites where we can control what we can control, and don't let these third parties, Spotify, YouTube, Patreon, get in between us because they are not neutral and they can shut off the spigot whenever they please. And that's not good for us, and it's also not good for the people who want to get our content. It's a bad process, and I would advise people against it. But talk to us about the things you have going on, the vast amount of things your website covers. You're doing this course called From Fear to a Magical Life, which I really thought sounded interesting, but you're doing a lot of hard work. What should people know about before I cut you loose? Uh, first of all, we're going to do a webinar uh, this weekend coming up on the 2nd and 3rd of um, April, depending on what time zone you're in. We have uh, Last month, we had uh, Professor Dolores Cahill, who's an absolute powerhouse of a woman, the founder of the World Doctors Alliance and the World Freedom Alliance and uh, a modern Joan of Arc. It was an amazing, amazing webinar. It's now available. All of the webinars we do are available as recordings uh, on uh, my website as well, lightonconspiracies.com. That's plural, lightonconspiracies.com. And uh, this weekend coming now here, we have Sasha Stone, uh, who's going to be an amazing guest as well. I know some people have question marks around him. I like him a lot as a, a person. I don't know. I don't know anyone there possible hidden agendas. I have no idea, but I really think this is a guy with a wealth of knowledge and uh, he's a master with words and uh, the way he uh, he uh, talks. So anyway, it's going to be an absolutely amazing webinar. It's on donation basis only. So please go to lightonconspiracies.com and sign up there. If you can't uh, hear it, be part of it live, then just sign up. We'll send you the recording afterwards, including the chat. 
But just like you say, I I normally don't ask for money, but it would be extremely appreciated. There's um, donation options on the website. There's my monthly newsletter. There's um, uh, the membership area with more than 1,000, it's almost 1,100 interviews uh, by myself. There's about, I think, 8,000 articles, and it, you can stay there for years and years and years. And all the content on that website is things that I have uh, personally, uh, as far as I know, is the truth coming from many others who are also being attacked. So I, I made this, uh, we made it into like, like a, an umbrella of security where other people can publish their stuff. I, I want to point out that this whole thing with Patreon was extremely disappointing to me. And I think, uh, why not contact them and put some fire under their butt? Because what they did was really not okay. What happened was that uh, just like you, uh, our, our, you know, the, what we pay here for rent and uh, electricity and some of that, all of it was covered by Patreon. So for that to disappear, not easy for us. Anyway, what Patreon did was they, they contacted me and just said, uh, uh, we have suspended your account. I mean, that no uh, warning, no whatsoever. And uh, blah, 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 blah. Thank you so much and goodbye. If you have any questions, just let us know. So I contacted them and said, why? why? And they said, they were kind enough to send me links of the things that uh, were breaking their community guidelines. And the things that was breaking their, their community guidelines were things on my website, not on the Patreon channel, on my website. And the things that they were uh, reacting against was when I did a film testimonial in front of the uh, Corona Investigative Committee, which is uh, led by uh, international lawyer, lawyer uh, Rainer Fulmisch, with, together with some 100 international lawyers, they're right in the legal process, taking on Bill Gates and Fauci and all of these guys. It's massive. That was the, what they uh, reacted against. And the other one was an interview with Rainer Fulmisch, the very same Rainer Fulmisch. These two on my website, not on my Patreon account, they said, you have to delete that or we will suspend your account. So what to do, my, my sweetheart said, absolutely, they can just go, sorry for my French fuck themselves, because we're not letting ourselves be controlled by them. Because if they can control what we publish on our website, well, I mean, we are, they've got us by the balls. They, what can we do? So we had to say bye-bye to that message. It was a big chunk of our income. And now we're trying to regroup. And uh, so I just feel that uh, it's really for a, a platform like Patreon, that is uh, highly recommended, and I've, we've been so grateful to them to do things like that. That is beyond beneath their dignity, and I think you know. I'm sure the way it happens. I've seen it in other places. Everything is great. Everything is good, and then suddenly a couple of men in black, very discreet individuals, come in, have a talk to the chief editor or whoever it is, and when they leave, things change. It's intimidation by fear. That's the same old story over and over again. And so I think that something very similar has happened there because these community guidelines are exactly the same on all of these platforms that seem like Patreon and Facebook. And I'm even censored on, on Odyssey and BitChute, oh, which really? I think I'm the only one, which I think I'm the only one doing, but I'm breaking their guidelines as well. I'm, I, I'm asking, hmm. what am I saying? They say, that I promote hate speech. Really, I 
on my membership area, there's 1,000, almost 100 interviews. Please, if you can find one hateful word that I've ever said against anyone or racist remark or anything like that, I challenge you. So why am I being shut down? And I think it's because I'm showing the templates, I'm showing the methods, I'm exposing the ingredients in these in these operations. And that is why they fear that truth from coming out there. So it's just like exposing David Copperfield's ma magic tricks on stage. If somebody goes up and exposes all of the tricks, there are not that many, then he's done with. And it's the same with them here. So this is, I believe, why I'm being hit so hard. Right. Well, I'm really sorry to hear about the Patreon experience. That is unfortunate because they can be such a crucial platform for a person's ability to make an income talking truth. And that's very surprising to hear about Odyssey and BitChute. You're right that that is quite rare. I've never heard that. But if they're sending you notices and taking down your videos, then I guess they're not a platform we can trust either. But in summary, we've talked about a lot of interesting angles that I definitely appreciate. And there are many layers to these agendas, many things designed to confuse us. So I think people need to consider all angles. We can hold multiple perspectives in our head. And even if you disagree with the perspective you hear, I would hope that people don't jump to words like shill or disinfo agent, because we are all just trying to figure out what's going on. And people who are ultimately calling for unity and projecting hope and love, like I would say you are, are ultimately the ones on team human. So to say you promote hate speech doesn't really add up to me, but that is the game they play. And it's just been really insightful as always, man. I really appreciate you coming back to talk to me again. I appreciate you keeping the pressure on the big cabal. And I hope we can toast each other on the other side of all this. And uh, until then, take care and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Craig. And I would very much like to come back on your show and tell you about this massive, massive operation I was part of stopping that was uh, at least 50% of what is the reason why the COVID operation came out so late that it did and uh, why we're not living in absolute hell at the moment. So, but it's a quite a long story. Fair, fair. Well, I like a good teaser, you know, <laughs> it's uh, how we get them back for next time. But yes, I appreciate your time. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much, Greg. All right, there it is. Great stuff. Ole has always been a good researcher who really breaks down the details. He's honest about what he does and doesn't know. And he's honest about saying, hey, this is just a pattern I've noticed. And how interesting that any random place that seems to be making a move towards recognizing Bitcoin as legal tender or setting up state mining operations seems to suddenly have trouble. Correlation, causation, and all that good stuff, but it certainly is curious. And if you don't know much about crypto, if you haven't engaged with it, it's easy to lump it all in together, but there are differences. There's a lot of nuances between various blockchains, various cryptos. And yeah, in the skeptical column, we have the fact that no one really knows who started Bitcoin. 
You know, you got to be skeptical of any new emerging technology with some anonymous creator because that kind of thing sounds like a CIA military intelligence cover story. It also has no tangible offline use. If your phone is dead and the power's out and you want eggs, how do you buy them? And if you ask the real crypto people, they would say that there are much more decentralized and private coins to be using and that whales and exchanges kind of control Bitcoin at this point. But the question is, do the big banks like crypto adoption, specifically at a national level and specifically Bitcoin? I would say they do not. I think if you pay attention to this stuff, the crypto world has been waiting for official regulations to be set in stone of some kind, and they always waver. And I think that's because they're waiting for the central bank digital currency. So they just keep kicking the can down the road, kind of. But when you hear that El Salvador is saving hundreds of millions a year on bank fees and transfer fees, and that's not money that goes to the big banks, you got to think about that. And you might ask, well, why is El Salvador getting away with using Bitcoin without any consequences like these other places? Well, who says they are? If you didn't know, there are two rival gangs that have made life in El Salvador pretty rough and pretty violent for a long time, let's say the last decade. And I saw a story just on YouTube somewhere that the violence and the death toll has been dropping year after year for a while, leading into the current president's presidency, so he's not fully responsible, but then also carrying on for several years into his presidency until last year, curiously. Last year, it started to go up again, and this year, it's even worse by a factor of three times what it was last year. Have shady actors ever acted through gangs or various populations to plant their people and use certain groups as Trojan horses to accomplish a goal or just create chaos? Yeah, it's happened. <laughs> so maybe it's happening here too. So be skeptical of crypto and Bitcoin. There are certainly flaws. The online-only nature is definitely one of them. And who knows if the encryption does get hacked someday and it all just implodes. But at the same time, I certainly think some major traditional global power centers could view crypto as a threat. They don't want to lose control and will do some cold shit to make sure they don't. But I thought it was a compelling take. And who knows, really? but I hope you agree that it was at least interesting to hear about. Wag the Dog is certainly a good movie and does reveal a lot about how these things work, so I appreciate that too. Unfortunately, I couldn't get this out before the events that he promoted, but he's always doing something and staying dedicated to the cause, so hopefully you can get him on the next one. Pay attention to his website, Light on Conspiracies. I'm sure his event calendar is always active. Of course, I'm out on the road, but we do have a Denver meetup on the calendar. I was able to put something on there. It's the Carlwood family meetup at Wincoop Brewing, April 5th. So just two days from the release of this show, maybe even one day. It's also up in the air. But April 5th, 8 p.m., I'm going to be strolling in to Wincoop Brewing and hanging out for as long as we can. Short notice, I know. Sorry about that. But I'm also going to keep this wrap-up short and sweet. I think Ole offered a lot of great perspective. The Plus show was full of great stuff, too, like a breakdown of Agenda 21 and the World Economic Forum players, BlackRock and Vanguard, 
elite families from outside of the spotlight, the crashed Malaysian flight and why that's relevant, Dr. Robert Gallo and the AIDS operation, rewarding the narrative builders like photographers and journalists, Project Paperclip, the CDC and NATO, Israel and global operations. I thought his take there was pretty spot on. And then wisdom from Bruce Lipton for our troubled times. You might remember him from a previous THC episode several years ago, but an eternal optimist. And uh, he has some interesting words for these times. Maybe this is an episode where you say, hey, I've been listening to the free show for a long time. I appreciate that there are no ads. I like the action-packed, informed host format, and I want to contribute because THC has been good to me, and I want to hear the full show. I'm going to sign up. Maybe that's how you feel today, or maybe not. Either way, show Ole some love, and I'll see you next time. Your move, Bitcoin blocking banksters, wag the dog template workers, and directors of the Global Motion Picture Stage Show. Your fucking move. take it. No, I refuse. If it's all right, I'll keep my refuge. I've been scheming of bigger things and have to leave my old life behind. Gotta transfer to the inner earth. I built a box, built a home, got a neat elevator going under. And now you'll find me in the bunker.
And that is another show complete. Remember, as much as you enjoyed this, which is just the free first hour, I hope you'll become a Plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews. You also can engage with other Plus members in the comments and the forums, and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions I get, which is where can I find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show? Well, they are free downloads for Plus members too. And without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com, where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check mailed to the P.O. Box. And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me and cheers to a better tomorrow.